0: Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, May 18th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host on Challenging the Rhetoric. I'm going to be wrapping things up a little bit with Mark McConnell. We have a few more things to go over tonight for sure and, of course, more stuff to go over down the line. Uh, Together over the past month or so, Mark and I have covered a lot of bases. Together we've filled in a lot of the blank spaces for you where before it was mere speculation or even maybe some conspiracy fodder or uh, or bias uh, for that matter. you know, there was a void there, and and I think that we did a pretty good job of filling it, uh, or filling it through through it all. We we've given you also a more accurate and and richer version of the Oregon standoff story. Uh, I would even challenge that as far as coverage in general. That you know, that's that that you found here with me in the show and and on my website has been possibly uh, more in-depth and more personal than uh, most of the stuff has been out there so far uh, on the topic. So I feel really good about that, um, about having that opportunity to provide that for you and also for myself uh, and maybe even for Mark. I'm sure that Mark's learned a lot of things uh, along the way as well um, about, you know, there's, there was something really wonderful about being able to connect with kind of the quote-unquote other side on, on a meaningful level. So I really thank Mark for trusting me and for the near-constant communication that's been going on between us for, a, you know, a month or so now, time that's eaten into his days and my days and even some of our nights and uh, just all the, you know, for the purpose of being able to share with you uh, and each other what really happened uh, in Oregon. So 37 people have been indicted between the two armed standoffs and there sure still be more indictments as time goes by leading into the trials. And then we'll have, you know, the trials themselves, September for Oregon, this next coming February for Nevada. So obviously the story is far from over. Almost every day there's new court documents or some new piece of information out there. So I will definitely continue to cover the story. Uh, I just want to let the listeners know who keep having these cravings for me to have Mark on the show that, uh, you know, he's not necessarily going to be here every single week. Uh, the ramifications and the repercussions also of what happened here in Oregon as well as in Bunkerville, Nevada, those are going to be very far-reaching on many fronts. Not, not everything is going to be for the better, uh, but that's also a different story and a different show down the road. Tonight, Mark and I are going to discuss the potential implications of some of the lower-level arrests that have been made. For example, people like Travis Cox, Jeffrey Stanek, Eric Flores, Michael Amory. Uh, just to name a few, we're also we're also going to go a little deeper into Mark's background since you all are uh, so interested from all sides of this. Uh, you seem very interested in Mark, um, so we're going to go deeper into who Mark is, uh, how he got into malicious to begin with, what his thoughts were when he first got in, versus what his thoughts were along the way, versus what his thoughts are now uh, after all that's happened. And and even I, I would I would caution you that a lot of his Thoughts had already started changing prior to um, you know what happened here in Oregon which is the result of his actions uh, during this whole escapade here. Uh, but I do want to say that as we're learning who Mark really is and, and who some of the other people that I've had on the show really are in, in, in relation to this, uh, I, I do believe that, that Mark is a, is a good guy. He's, he's one of the good guys. He's a good man. But Sometimes, the good guy doesn't always start out as the good guy. We all have past, we've all done things that we're not proud of, um, or things that we don't care what people think of or whatever, but things that maybe we've modified or changed our thoughts and views on along the way. And that too is part of the story, because without that real basic understanding on a human level for anyone, we are never going to be at the root of truth for anything. But before I bring Mark on the show, uh, here's the details that I give you each week to help you engage with us. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news, and on Twitter, you can find me at CTR Newsfeed. For tonight's show, we're using hashtags CTR, Oregon Standoff, Bundy Ranch, and of course Liberty Rising. All of the stories I cover are available on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. Uh, I would like to mention to those listening, I will not personally be very active uh, on social media and in the chat rooms tonight. As I told you, I think about a week ago, I had a cyber attack on my computer. Uh, Most of it is non-functioning right now particularly trying to type anything on the left side of the keyboard. Uh, That will be resolved by Thursday. Uh, So if you are in the chat room, know I am there. Know I am watching, and I'll chat as I can, but it's going to sound like gibberish when I try. Uh, But please do seek out my social media manager and the chat room moderator, Sue Shugarts. And if you have a specific question for me, you can uh, direct it to her, get her attention, and she will make sure I get it. Uh, I will try to get to your question in the context of where the com- conversation is when I get that. So, if you want to chat with us in the chat room and interact or ask questions or whatever, you can find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. That's C H E R I Roberts. Click on show number thirty-two the chat room will appear right beneath that slider. If you're already on the page and you don't see the chat room, I did launch it uh, right before I went live. Normally, I do it a little sooner. So just hit your refresh button and then scroll down and it should be there. Uh, I see it. Uh, there's people in there, so you should be good to go. So remember, in the chat room or whether you call in and, and I do any calls, I, I, we're going to do a two-hour show tonight. There might be a time where I take calls. It depends because there's a lot of different things we want to cover in to to kind of round out, you know, this the series that we've done together. But so just remember, there's no personal attacks, uh, there's no trolling, there's no over aggression. I simply won't tolerate it. I have no problem bouncing people out. That's not how I roll, and um, that's not how I want you to roll with me. You know, so that's just the way it is. <laughs> how do you like them apples? So, all right, let's just jump right in this. Uh, I don't want to waste a lot of time on a whole bunch more, you know, um, front-loading the show with anything. I want to I bring Mark on and really take advantage of this, this time together here. As many listeners already know, Mark McConnell is the leader of Arizona 3%. It's an organization that people typically look at as a militia group. Uh, I don't know that that is maybe an improper term at this point because of the the, the the shade that's been thrown on that, uh, so to speak, and, and that's going to be part of this show tonight. Um, you know, that term militia as well as words like patriot and even liberty have become distasteful to many and, and, and very bastardized in many other different ways, but distasteful even uh, to some extent to Mark McConnell's own mouth. And you'll hear about that, like I said, a little later in the show. First, we're going to cover some other stuff. So Mark was the driver of the vehicle that Ammon Bundy was riding, uh, that he was riding. It was Mark's vehicle, and he, and, and he was, of course, the driver of his vehicle uh, doing security for Ammon Bundy as they were driving to John Day on January 26th, the night that Amon Bundy and several others were arrested, and, of course, the night that Lavoy Finnicum was killed. So, Mark, thank you very, <laughs> very much for joining me once again. This is show number four together. How are you doing?
1: I am good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, other than this whole, like, computer thing, I mean, I try, everybody keeps trying to talk to me, and so I, I try to talk back, and then they're like, what? And then my frustration level, like, rises because I really can't communicate, in that means right now. And so the, the what, what, what for five minutes of, you know, computer gibberish, I'm like, oh, screw it. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm doing really good. Um so, you know, you've, you've been out on the road because that's what you do. And uh, as, you're, as you're out and about and you have a lot of time to read and to think and to stop for tacos and all sorts of stuff along the way. And in that thinking process and in that reading process, I know that you're keeping up on all the different things that have been going on as well as reflecting on a lot of the things that you and I have talked about on the show a lot of the things that you and I have talked about in our many conversations, and then, of course, all the conversations that you have with with other people. And so you and I were recently talking about some of these lower-level arrests or lower-level standoff players and their arrests, you know, like Jeffrey Stanick and Michael Emery and even Travis Cox and, you know, some others. And we were both very much, without having to prompt one another along the same kind of thought process and that, and I thought that it would be more powerful for the audience if they if they heard that from you, and then I can maybe emphasize afterwards, so if you don't mind, can we start there?
1: well, with some of these my with my opinion on some of these low level guys like Jeff Spanick, you know I got to know Jeff Spanick a little bit up there, <clears throat> he was there the first and second times I was there um you know Jeff ran around he did have a he did have his long gun he did carry his body armor a lot uh, but I think that, in some ways, a lot of these some of those guys like with him, uh maybe even Travis Cox, you know the reason I think they were picked up was so they could be used later on, you know because they were there the throughout the duration to be easy to flip
0: yeah that was you know that was kind of exactly my my thought because the reason that I thought this and and you can kind of give more broader insight or or maybe deeper is the better word, deeper insight uh, into what I'm about to say. But the reason I thought that is that when we look back at anything that was in corporate mainstream media or even in social media, um, including everything that was put out from the refuge, many of those lower level names were not names that we were familiar with at all until we saw them on an indictment. And then – then people went and found their Facebook pages and were like, oh, look at this picture, and oh, look at that. But in general, these were people that were not prominent figures in any way for the average mm-hmm. you know, person that has interest in the topic to say, oh, this one's going to get indicted. I mean, I think there's a lot of other people that people thought or expected to be indicted, and maybe they still will be. But I think also there was a surprise on a lot of these because they're like, well, who the hell is this? So can you,
1: can you talk on that? Correct. One's like Jeff panic Jeff didn't, you know, he was more, he was more of a follower. You know, when we started talking to Jeff, Jeff's entire purpose for being there was, was that was where his heart told him to go. Um, you know, as far as Jeff being leadership or anything in that matter, no, no, he was, he was more, you know, he bounced back and forth between militia and security Um but really, I mean, he was a, a low-level guy. You know, there was no—I didn't hear any kind of any kind of rhetoric, um, you know, anything really like that out of him. So I was really surprised who, when he got picked up.
0: Who, speaking of Jeff Stanek particularly, who who was kind of like his direct report? If if he was there, let's say it was a job, who did he report to? Who was,
1: oh, I've been was kind
0: of like Ryan Payne? Okay, which is important yeah. uh, for the listeners, and as you, those that have been following this week after week, um, and even before Mark started coming on the show and talking about this, Ryan Payne is very prominent in this, and as in the Oregon standoff as well as the Bundy ranch standoff, but there's other reasons for his prominence. You hear stuff in the background about it, and Mark and I will talk a little bit more on Ryan Payne in a minute. But so, so Jeffrey Stanek was basically he reported to Ryan Payne. Um, was that kind of the case also with Travis Cox?
1: Yes. <clears throat> yeah, they were. Uh, they were. They were obviously or very much Ryan Payne's guys.
0: So, did was there anything that you necessarily saw, uh, genuinely, um, and and the listeners on on several sides of this have like really gotten to the point where? the majority, I feel comfortable saying, have grown a trust with you in what you're saying on this show to be true. And so from your perspective, having been there, having interacted with these people, see, touch, feel, that whole thing, who else, uh, who, who would you say basically were Ryan Payne's guys? Who, who were these people that are now indicted, okay, that, that reported to Payne?
1: Well, I mean, you got Travis Cox, you got Jason Blomgren, uh, Jeff Spanick or Stanek, or Spanick, or whatever his last name is. Um, those are the three off the top of my head that I can remember off the indictments. There's a few people on the indictments. I don't even remember who they were.
0: Right. You know, I that, don't recall even the seeing kind of. them.
1: Like, you know, that one guy, That's what was his name, uh, David Flores or something like that? I don't remember that guy. Eric being
0: Flores. That. Right. Eric exactly. Flores. So, and – yeah, and and he was there for a bit, and he he went with with his weapons, and I believe he went with multiple weapons, if I remember correctly, according to um, a couple articles uh, where he where his wife was interviewed. Um, but so so let's let's talk about why it's important. We're talking about these lower level players, and and the fact that out of all the different people that were participating in these standoffs, there are even bigger players in the Bundy Ranch. 2014 standoffs that have not been picked up or indicted yet that did way more than people like Jeffrey Stanek or Travis Cox, even or Eric Flores in the Oregon standoff. So, when we're talking about these lower level players and them being potential easy targets um, for pushing, you know, or, you know, to to kind of push on for info and, and, and flipping and deals and stuff like that. Why, why are they easy pickings? Why are they lo- the low-hanging fruit or something like that for the feds?
1: Well, someone like, say like with Jeff, you know, Jeff's, Jeff's young. He's 22, 23 years old, something like that. Um, you know, he's got a little girl at home. You know, there's a lot of motivating factors for why he could be easily used.
0: you know, being a new daddy, you know. Um, I, I, I can't remember if it was Travis or if it's Jeffrey. One of, I think it's Jeffrey, actually. One of them actually lived uh, in one of my daughter's neighborhoods, literal neighborhoods, and I didn't know that until, you know, after he was picked up and all that. But, um, you know, I mean, when you're, when you're thinking about the people at the refuge and not how they were portrayed, how they portrayed themselves, and that cannot be emphasized enough. This is not how corporate media, and I'm down on most corporate media most of the time. This, Everything that I say on this show, everything Mark and I have talked about about this, this incident is really, truly not to do with what corporate media has or hasn't done. It's about what they them, themselves did, how they presented themselves to the public as a whole. And so... I mean, Mark, when you when you look back at the Bundy Ranch stuff, and you weren't at Bundy Ranch, but you have a lot of ties there, um, and Bundy Ranch is kind of the the precursor for how you ultimately met Ryan Payne, um, and some other people that are in jail, um, but or in prison, I should say, outside of this incident. But you know, when what could in your experience with different cases that you've had some part in as far as being near you on these issues with regards to militia and the type of weaponry and the show of the weaponry and stuff, what would be a kind of deal that people of that lower level could actually make? If they were low level and they answered the pain, what would their interactions with, say, Bundy be? What would their... If any, and if so, what could they potentially or conceivably even know that they could flip on?
1: Well, I don't think those guys, with the exception of uh, Blomgren, Jason Blomgram, I don't think that some of those guys really had any interaction with with Ammon or Ryan Bundy. If they did, it would be very minimal. Uh, with Ryan, with Ryan, as far as Ryan Payne goes, you know, Ryan, Ryan likes to talk a lot, and. You know, like with, with Bunkerville or, Bun, you know, with the Bundy Ranch standoff, you know, Ryan Payne, if you remember, he was the guy that basically orchestrated a the lot. There was there was articles that came out to where he wanted to go over and break into Nellis Air Force Base to steal armaments, armaments, yeah, armaments over there. Um,
2: right.
1: You know, so if he, if he had anything, say, nefarious in the plans or was thinking about anything like that in Oregon, which, I mean, if you know Payne and you deal with Payne, you know those kind of thoughts kind of go hand in hand with him breathing. Um, they would know that. They would have they would. all kinds okay. of access to that.
0: Let me let me give a disclaimer real quick. Now, what Mark just said with regards to Nellis Air Force Base and the armament, um, there there has been some news stories about that speculation in corporate media in the past, um, but. It's hard when you're in my seat to, to be able to say those things outright. I have no place in this. I was not there and all of that. And even though Mark wasn't at Bundy Ranch, again, the ties um, are direct and, um, and many longstanding. So it, within these worlds, Mark, can you explain how people like you, um, and I don't want to go s- straight into to Ryan because I do want to talk a little bit deeper on that, but I think it's important with what you said. How can people like you or people like Melvin or people like Louis, who is also on the show, and other people like that, including those who won't speak up, um, know uh, that Ryan Payne was a problem? And not just his psychological past, but what I'm looking for, before we jump into that in the the next little segment, is more uh, can you address how the information that's being talked about and passed around within your... Lifestyle of the militias Is different than what's out there in the public When we hear about Ryan Payne we hear this But when you guys are talking about people Like Ryan and stuff like that within your groups Can you kind of talk about How the difference is and why When when people like you Or Melvin or Lewis or others uh, Talk about the armament and, You know at Nellis Air Force Base And uh, different things that we'll Be talking about why it, I mean that's not public knowledge in many many players many Places so I don't want this to sound like speculation because there are people that are in the know about these things because of the militia lifestyle. Sorry, long way to get around to that, but you know what I mean now. Hopefully.
1: <laughs> well, the way the, the way the media portrayed Ryan was was rather soft versus the way that we portray Ryan. Ryan Ryan's a guy that you really you've got to keep your eye on. Because Ryan, there, you know, like we've talked in your other shows, Ryan is looking for that revolution. He wants it and he wants it bad, you know. So Ryan comes up with all sorts of, all sorts of plans, you know. Um, we discuss all that amongst ourselves, but a lot of that never hits the media. You know, to give you an example. Take like when uh, when Kim Davis was pick was a. Uh, I think she was put in jail for what, 24, 48 hours, something like that. There in Kentucky, that that clerk that refused to uh, do the marriage license for for gays. You know, right. Ryan, one of his first one of his first phone calls. You know, one of his first thoughts on that, he called me and he called a few others. You know, and his thoughts were, "Let's go break her out of there." And it's like, Ryan, well, that's that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a lofty endeavor. But he was dead serious about it. He really wanted to go over there. He wanted to break her out. You know, um, that was just Ryan's mindset. Ryan was always he was always looking for that fight, and he was bound to determined he was going to get it one way or another, and wherever, whatever avenue he could take it from.
0: And with regards to, just so the listeners are very clear, when Mark's saying that 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 Ryan Payne called him and others uh, when Kim Davis was uh, arrested that he wanted to break her out. You're saying that Ryan Payne literally wanted to go, basically siege the the jail. I think it was a county jail or whatever the jail, uh, and and literally break her out of it.
1: Literally, yes, yeah. The the entire uh, his entire scope onto that was on a frontal assault.
0: It was an offensive. Yes. And so it's really important for listeners to understand that there are some people within these militias that truly believe in only the defensive, but there are also some to seek situations and opportunities out for the particular reason of going on the offensive. And Ryan Chang was one of those historically, and we're going to get deeper into that, but I want to jump back to these lower level players. Let's talk about Michael Emery real quick, Mark. What, uh, You know, Michael Emery was a lower-level player as far as he was not really a leader uh, of anything except maybe somewhat of those certain things that were happening outside of the refuge. He was there with Idaho 3%. He was the so-called embedded reporter with them of the Voice of Idaho. Uh, We talked last week about how unreporterly he was a lot of the times. He really didn't put a lot of reporting out there if you go and look uh, so I don't really know what he was doing there other than, you know, what videos are available and what you've shared and stuff like that. But again, kind of on, on one hand, a lower-level player. Now this guy just got picked up with a mod deuce that he stole and then obliterated, in his word, the, the serial numbers off of So that in itself is nefarious, whether he wanted to sell that weapon, you know, for money for his little media entity or living or, or wanted to use it for something. Who the hell knows? But, how can someone like Michael Emery who had the different kinds of access that he had be able to help the feds uh, if he were to be being pressed from your experience, with Michael Emery at the refuge.
1: Michael Emery, like we talked last week was very odd because he did try to portray himself as a reporter, but yet he never was a quote unquote reporter. Um, You know, if, If you look at at, at Emory, I was just watching a a YouTube video the other day. It was about an hour long, you know, where he talks where he's got an extensive military career. And then he was a private military contractor. And then he was working inside of uh, CONUS, uh, Continental United States, um, for the U.S. government. He was infiltrating these different, you know, these different organizations and stuff. But then all of a sudden, he's in Oregon as a freedom fighter. I mean, his complete track record is basically counter what he was what he would have done in oregon
0: right so if he was going to provide some sort of evidence that would lessen his jail time in reality what would what kind of evidence would he legitimately have had access to that could help the prosecution
2: whether he he was
0: recording or not huh
1: well, he had, a, he was with pain, you know, he, the, a lot of these guys, you know, and that's something that we do have to emphasize to the listeners is there was different facets at work inside there. There's different, um, basically different mindsets inside there. You have, you know, Ammon Bundy and what he was doing and, and with trying to get, you know, his message out there and try to wake people up. Um, you have that, but then you also have Ryan Payne with OMD, which is looking for that fight.
0: So Do you see what I'm saying? You with familiar, have, I was just going to say OMD is Operation Mutual Defense, which used to be Operation Mutual Aid until there was a split. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: You know, so with with those you know with those different facets in there, you've got different people, and that's where Michael Emery comes in. You know, Michael. <clears throat> like i said it's, it's completely public that he did infiltrate different places different uh groups and then i believe it was in 2002 or 2003 he did turn states evidence against these groups um you know like like i said in that other video i was watching you know that was his that was he spent years doing that with between his military service and then as a private military contractor and then working for you know he, he alluded to different agencies, whether it was the FBI, the ATF, CIA, who have you, you know, and that's what his job was is to infiltrate these other places or these other groups. And then, you know, there was right. one where in that one, that one there, you know, he discussed, you know, a cache of weapons that he had found, you know, that he had, you know, blown the whistle on that was in Kansas, you know, and then the, you know, he had been sent to Idaho with a false identification and everything else. Well if he's in Idaho under a false ID then he's obviously doing it for the government. But yet he comes to Mollier as a reporter slash you know freedom guy, you know, and now he's been picked up with having a Mah that he stole. Uh as you said, you know, just I mean he just dis- he destroyed the the serial number on it. Something's not adding up there, because one minute you're the government's go-to guy. For years you've been the government's go-to guy, but now all of a sudden you're the anti-government guy? Something's a mess
0: right. right, and people are worried about Pete Santilli being a Fed or a plant. Pete Santilli, I guarantee you, was not a Fed or a plant, but he did certainly provide <laughs> lots of stuff to the Feds, uh, which I believe is the purpose and this whole gun charge in Ohio back in December being dropped so that he could actually participate uh, here in Oregon. So, because people would know, I mean, the feds would know how he would behave, and uh, just like at Bundy Ranch, and they'd provide him a plethora of information. Uh, Emory, on the other hand, has an actual history documented. He talked about it himself. There's very real documents and his own testimony out there available for anyone to listen to. So um, for the listeners, uh, both Mark and I use the same term, and we said mod Deuce, So if you're c- if you're uh, confused at all what that is, Michael Emery had a a, a mod Deuce, is a, a 50 cal caliber uh, M2 machine gun, and um, these things uh, they did test fire it. Uh, it did work. It was in perfect working order, and these things fire like 60 shots off, like what per, per minute, or 600 per minute, or how does that work? You're you're a gun dude. How, how what does it do?
1: Yeah, it's like six – I think it's like six to 700 rounds a minute. That's a little bigger of a kit, bigger of a weapon than I'm used to. See, now – and that's something that – yeah, I know. I clear my throat, yada, yada, yada. Um,
2: Drink. You know, that's something that (laughs) (laughs) –
1: exactly. See, and that's something that, you know, you just hit on that with – you know, with Pete Santilli, you said that he provided stuff for the government. But that wasn't – I mean, we need to make sure that that's clear that it wasn't direct, okay? You know, um, right. Pete did work to keep everything, you know, to keep everything transparent, and he was doing his, right. you know, his quote-unquote media broadcasts. Um, now, if you watch some of Michael Emery's videos, one of the things I've picked about Michael Emery's videos is when he does them, he's giving you insider information. He's giving inside information of what's going on in the refuge, okay? Now, <clears throat> if Michael, on my train of thought, if Michael is still working for the government, what's the best way to get it out there? Not necessarily covert, but you got YouTube. Why not just come huh. out there and say a news broadcast, and then whoever is watching you can then just sit there and go to YouTube and pick it up, and they can watch it right then and there. No big deal. But in the same token, that can also be used, like with Pete Santilli stuff. Of since it's on YouTube, now it's public.
0: Right. Right. And a a lot of this stuff actually uh, technically violated YouTube's terms of service, and these people don't realize it, um, which some of this stuff may have very well been flagged because of that. Uh, As far as Pete Santilli goes, yes, to be very clear, and and I'm well on the record for this, uh, I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that Pete Santilli, in fact, literally worked for the feds in any way uh, as as an employee or as a plant. Uh, When I say that I believe that the gun charge, when he got picked up in December and then it suddenly got dropped, was a calculated uh, opportunistic move for um, the feds in order to allow him to continue his plan in going to Oregon because of his M.O. I mean, you know, it was everybody knew if you were anywhere aware of Santilli or, or watched even two videos after the fact, uh, he was very – much the same in everything and how he approached it and so the feds would know that it would be he'd be rife with information that he would be pumping out there in the public realm that they would be able to use against everybody i do not believe that pete Santilli realized that in any way shape or form so you're correct so let's go ahead and like uh jump a little deeper into ryan Payne because i got to ask you something this is going to sound a little weird probably but uh, before Ryan Payne's Facebook page disappeared and stuff, and, and on a couple other things, and I don't know if it has to do with Ryan Payne particularly or if it's something to do with Operation Mutual Defense, but it seems that Ryan Payne and several others used the Templar Knights Crest. And f- for people that know me well know that I'm actually a Templar Knights buff, which is why I'm asking this question. It was a little fascinating to me for many different reasons, uh, are you aware of any kind of ties that, that that organization or Ryan Payne as the head of that organization had uh, or thought they had with Templar Knights or anything like that?
2: Yeah, you know, that
1: was actually rather interesting. Um, about a year and a half ago, Ryan called me up one night, and he's like, I got a question for you. I said, okay, what's that? <clears throat> he goes, I, you know, on, on Facebook and everything, you're, you know, your last name's McConnell. He goes, is that your actual real last name? And I, you know, kind of laughed about it. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, why would it not? You know, and then he brought up a valid point that, you know, there's a lot of people that run around with, with fake Facebook profiles. You know, it's fairly common. Um, I said, yeah, you know, my, my last name's McConnell. And uh, he goes, well, you know, have you ever traced your, your family back? And I said, yeah, as far as my grandparents. You know, I said, whatever, you know, whatever happened 100, 200, 300, 400, whatever years ago, it doesn't really make a difference to me now. So I don't really play around much with it, and uh, and so why is that? You know, and and so we started actually getting into these long drawn out lineage talks,
2: <laughs> and
1: it was kind of it was kind of odd to um you know to have those kind of conversations with people because I don't have those kind of conversations with family, you know, and uh, we just we kept digging into it further, and then he was telling me that, that that him him and a girl that, uh, that he was running around with, her name was uh, Kristen, uh, Kristen Spanik. Um You know, they had traced their lineage all the way back to Scotland. And, and I'm like, okay. And that's then when the crest started popping up on their Facebook profiles, you know? And I thought that at first it was, you know, kind of like a drunk conversation, you know? Um, but then they start then that started to get into, I think for the next four or five conversations, you know, it started to get a little bit deeper into, you know, family lineage and, and about the Knights Templar. Um, you know, and that's when, like, with Payne, Payne honestly believed that he was he was into this, hence the reason why, you know, he was always this freedom fire fighter. You know, he, he honestly believes in his mind that he, I don't know if he reincarnated, I don't really want to use that, um, but he honestly believes that, He's a modern Knights Templar. Hence the reason why the whole thing with Kim Davis. You know, we did get into having discussions about he was trying to find a backer for a bunch of us to go to. um, uh, I think it was Peshmerga. You know, to fight against ISIS. Um, I mean, it was always like I said. Every conversation with Ryan was just another fight someplace else. You know, and we had four or five.
0: A new crusade.
1: And we had four or five conversations about the whole, uh, you know, knight Templar, and, you know, he kept getting on me about tracing my lineage back, and I'm, like, I'm I'm just, I'm really not interested. And, uh, you know, about the, the last two conversations, then there started to get to be, you know, I don't really want to say a chant, but it was, it was more than a slogan, you know, and uh, it was almost, you know, basically like an oath, you know, and it's like, I'm just so not digging this stuff anymore.
2: You know, and after that,
1: Ryan called me, you know he'd called me
2: uh,
1: i don't know what uh, if you know a few more times, and I just sent him a voicemail i just I can't keep having those kind of conversations with grown ass adults.
0: <laughs> well, I think that people um are very curious about their own lineage and i and I think that what you're saying um that that's that's like very interesting information to me again as somebody who's studied the Templar Knights for so long because uh, that has humorous uh, connotations to, as well as, and more importantly, as um, there are sinister connotations to that. Because when we're talking about something like the Knights Templar and somebody who uh, truly uh, identifies with the Knights Templar, whether they believe they're reincarnated or of the lineage, or it is now uh, their cause to re-up, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know there were good and bad things about the you know the Templar Knights, and when when you put it into the context of today, um, today's world and and, and the things that have happened and the things that Ryan has been involved in, I think that the listeners can have an even bigger perspective of the psychological mindset of Ryan Payne, which is is really important. I want to get back to the Kim Davis thing with Ryan Payne because um, you had said that he had called you and he had told this to you so what was your reaction when he's like telling you, you know, about Kim Davis? I mean, like let's let's start the call. I mean, how did that go down?
1: <clears throat> well, when he called me up, you know, he uh I was I was at home, I was here in Arizona and he called me up and he's like, Have you heard about Kim Davis? Not even you know, hi, how you doing, hey bro, hey dude, nothing, no, none of that stuff. You know, first words out of his mouth, have you heard about Kim Davis? I mean, the only Kim Davis I thought of that came to my mind was that singer that what, what was she have out there? Betty Davis eyes or something like that? That was her song. Like, that was that, one. I'm yeah. like I'm like, dude, the singer? He's like, no, the clerk in Kentucky. I'm like, man, I'm in Arizona. <laughs> you know? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? You know? Well, you know, well, she was standing up. You know, she was standing up for the Constitution, and she wouldn't give. Um, You know, she wouldn't give this marriage license, so they they put her in jail. You know, we need to do something about it.
2: And I just sat
1: here. I mean, I was dumbfounded. Because, I mean, this woman is in Kentucky. I don't know what their laws are. I don't know what's going on over there. But we're just going to mount up and go to Kentucky and assault a jail? You know, and (laughs) I'm like, I'm like Ryan. You know, I'm sorry, I'm, right. I'm like, start from the beginning. <laughs> what happened? You know, did they pass laws? Did they do this? You know, and you know, you know, he explained it. You know, that more or less that there it was basically like a like a, a, a you know a judgment call from the bench. You know, it was basically a a, a, a basically a law from the bench, and it wasn't actually a law that had gone through the Kentucky legislation or anything like that. It was, it was a court ruling that,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, they were using against her, which, you know, courts cannot do that. Courts, courts cannot make law from the bench. If a court overturns something, it doesn't, necess- it doesn't mean that, boom, now it's legal. You know, like with that right. there. You know, um, you know, so she, w- she was in the, in, you know, in the right because there was no Kentucky law for it, and, the, and a court cannot make law. You know, that's something that is very, um, you know, is very much lost, you know, in, in today's government. And, uh, but I mean, he was just, before, I mean, before anybody even got involved over there, anything. I mean, this was the first day she was in jail. And we were going to bust well, her out.
0: Did did Ryan address, uh, did Ryan Payne address anything to do with the religious connotation of, of her and who she was publicly as far as what had come out as far as the whole religious aspect of it? Because my understanding of that case was she felt she was standing up for her religion. Now, I, I believe she was a Christian. Ryan Payne is a Jesuit Jew. Uh, you know, Alan Bundy was a Mormon. So where did Ryan fit into the religious aspect of her arrest?
1: Yeah, Ryan you know, and that's where Ryan was supporting her. And I mean, you know, under full disclosure, that's where I support her too, because she was standing up not only for what the law was or what the law wasn't, but she was making a stand on principle, you know, and that's something that you do have to admire is someone's going to stand on their principle, even if they're wrong, if they have the courage and the conviction to do it, you have to admire that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, so I, I want to jump back over to Ryan Payne and the Templar thing. Uh, Karen, in the chat room, um, there's a question, oh, by the way, on religion came from Tricia in the listener chat room. And if you want to jump into that listener chat room, we still got an hour and 20 minutes or so to go here. So go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts It's C-H-E-R-I. Scroll down underneath the slider in the chat room. should be there live for you. Uh, Tricia was the one that had the question with regards to religion. And now I want to go to a question from Karen. Karen has a question with regards to, or not a, not a question, a statement. She says that uh, one of the other co-defendants, Dwayne uh, Eamer, Emer, uh, I believe he's from Oregon actually, he goes by the Facebook name of mm-hmm. Sage Templar. Um, so are you aware outside of Ryan at all of other people that try to emulate that whole thing?
1: There was, there were other people with the OMD organization that were on these different calls, uh, <clears throat> and I do fault myself for it because I didn't, I didn't pay enough attention to it because it was such just such a foolish conversation that it was hard to take serious, you know. So there were other people on there that, you know, we're all into we're into the the Templar um, lineage and and so on and so forth. Me being me, I just couldn't take it serious. I mean, it was like being in a room talking with a bunch of eight-year-olds.
0: <laughs> Have you found that to be true in a lot of your conversations with different um, militia groups or people that call themselves militias?
1: Not really with, you know, a lot of the different militia groups. With some of them, sure. You know, some of these militia groups, you sit there and you're like, oh, shit, dude, you can't even be serious anymore.
0: How, how many? How many times do you encounter... Um within militia groups, uh, let's just say in the last <laughs> five years, mark, how many times have you encountered somebody like Ryan Payne?
1: Probably half a dozen
0: and how many times have you encountered or about how many? Have you encountered within those same groups that were kind of lackeys of that person that was like Ryan Payne, like the people that are like Travis Cox or you know what I'm saying? The the lower level people that flock to that as if they're like cult leaders.
1: So there's a lot of people that are doing that. There's a lot of people that you know, in this country a lot of people are trying to get involved. They're trying to you know they're trying to they're they're trying to help. They're you know, they're again take like with, with Jeff Spanick. You know, Jeff believed his heart was in the right place. But in the same token, taking over a bird refuge, okay? So he believed that he was, you know, that he was righteous in what he was doing. They're against him on his principles, you know? So you do run into a lot of them because guys like Ryan Payne, there's a couple of down here in Arizona um, that are current residents of Florence Prison. You know, they're they're the same way. Those guys there have the loudest mouths and that's where the problem where guys like me has come in because i've kind of stayed back you know I've, I've always been the guy that is trying to stay more in the background just trying to do my thing trying to hook up with you know other people that that can help me you know with my goal uh, of community changes and so my voice isn't out there but in the same token i'm not you know, I don't. I'm not going to make any kind of rash statements. I'm not going to say, "Hey, we need to go do this. We need to go do that." Um, I'm not going to do that. So therefore, I get drowned out by some of these
0: guys. Do you? How often do you assert yourself uh, when 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 you feel like it's somebody that's kind of going along the veins of, um, you know, Ryan Payne in that path? What? Um, and we're starting we're starting to kind of jump into your background so we're we're gonna we're gonna go somewhat out of sequence here just because that 's how the conversation is leading us so who you are now today, okay when you see somebody that's like Ryan Payne, I mean what is your kind of your first response to something like that within your organization or one that you're attached to?
1: With any of our organizations, guys like ryan payne don't don't mesh they don't fit in. You know, we, we won't we don't allow guys like that to come in. You know, we had guys like take down here in Arizona, <clears throat> you know, last week when we were talking about you know, border operations, you know, I made it really made it very clear, at least I tried to, that um, you know, we're more of a humanitarian group. You know, we're not out there to to harm anybody, you know, we wouldn't we will stay within accordance of, of Arizona law as far as self defense goes. You know, there are some groups out there, that's one, that's their, you know, that's their stick is to, you know, harm Mexicans or harm illegal stuff like that. Those groups there, we monitor them. And once we, once we start monitoring them, we blackball them. You know, we had a group down here that, you know, like I said, two of the guys are uh, down here in, well, yeah you know, two of the guys are down here in Florence prison right now. Now, I maintained contact with them, and whenever I knew they were going to be in the field or wherever they were going to be, then I would start calling different groups that were in those areas and go, hey, by the way, so-and-so is going to be in your area. You know, and then they would kind of, they would shift, they would maneuver, they would do whatever they've got to do in order to keep that person, you know, to, to once they get to that area, they don't want to stay there, and they bounce them back out of there. There's only so much that we can do to stem the flow of the Ryan Pains.
0: When it comes to, I, I, can, I can see that, that that would be an issue. Um, when it comes to people that start crossing lines, and as you're monitoring them, whether you've, you know, bounced them out of your own organization or whatever, but they're still, you know, doing what they're doing, and you're kind of monitoring what's going on, how often do you intervene? Because you certainly intervened in the, in the Melior uh, episode. Um, you went out there twice with Purpose. Uh, the first time and the second time predominantly to get people leave. You had interactions with Ryan Payne. Um, so how, how do you address that with their public? So let's say not the public, but let's say the problems with Ryan Payne that brought you back the second time to Mellier, how do you address that with people around uh, that are involved with him or whatever that situation is?
1: Well, take like with Ryan up there, um, you know, that's where the, the meeting for the 7th came in. You know, when we had that meeting up there, prior to that meeting the night of the 7th, you know, Melvin and myself, we did talk to a bunch of these different kids. You know, Jeff Spanick, as an example, he was there, there was four of them, Jeff and three of his buddies that came there in one car. You know, um, <clears throat> Ryan and Jason Patrick had gotten into this big kick of – you know, stand on their principles and, and so on and so forth and standing for the constitution. That's when, you know, Jason Patrick gave his big speech that, you know, he would stand in front of, the, you know, he would stand in front of a tank, even by himself for his constitution. Okay. And later on, we find out that that was exaggerated. Um, but when we were standing there talking, mm-hmm. you know, there was about, there was about seven or eight guys who were standing there talking to Melvin and myself. And the East gate was about a hundred yards behind us. So we were standing right there next to where the chow hall is. Um, you know, just for just for curiosity, you know, because these guys were, you know, ne- they, they had never been military. Jeff Spanik is an Army vet. You know, he is 11 Bravo. He, was, uh, he is infantry for the Army, and I believe he had one tour in either Iraq or Afghanistan, or, yeah, either Iraq or Afghanistan. I don't remember which one it was. But I do believe that he had overseas deployment. You know, but we're standing there, we're talking, and we're trying to get through to these guys that the message and the mission as righteous but what is going on the actions are not okay so with having that conversation you know we stood there and I'm, I, I keep eyeballing this one kid and I, I i felt bad for him because if something would ever happen he'd have been done you know he's got a, an sks on literally on a, on, a, on a piece of rope sling you know <clears throat> and talking with these seven or eight guys just standing there you know just for curiosity you know i made the comment to him, okay well if law enforcement comes through here right now what do you guys do? You know, one guy's like, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to repel them, I'm going to keep them back, and then that right there started the mob mentality right there. And there was a few more of you know, cool. that got onto that bandwagon.
0: Mark, can you, can you, I think, I think exactly what you just said about repelling them and holding them back is is pretty much how most of the people that are in jail right now winning trial and those on pre-trial release like John Ritzheimer, et cetera, um, that's kind of, Part of why they are facing trial is because of that verbiage that they used that was that they they weren't going to surrender that that they're not going to go on the offensive unless you try to remove them, which is basically saying, "Hey, touch me, you know, try to make me leave, and I'm going to shoot you." Um, so, uh, can, can you talk on that? In, in, in any way that you want, because it's it's. it's, it's that's kind of a big conversation, but I think it's really important for people that are listening that are either involved with uh, different organizations or militias or want to be um, or want to go and show out at different things like, like the Oregon standoff or the Bundy Ranch episode. Um, and so that if they want to participate in true civil disobedience and they want to tr- participate in legal uh, First Amendment rights and Second Amendment rights, can you talk on that verbiage? Because it's just like, it's hugely important.
1: (laughs) Well, see, uh, and that was where that conversation was going up there because, you know, once they started to get on that train, I stopped. I'm like, listen guys, the bottom line is if you have law enforcement that comes through here right now, you know, if you so much as try to raise the muzzle, if you try to reach for a handgun, you're done, you know, and that's where a lot of these guys don't really, don't really grasp this, you know, um, Take, like, you know, there was a law that, that in Nevada that Michelle Fiore is trying to put out there that if somebody's got a gun dra- trained on you, you've got the right to pull your gun. Okay, I'm extremely fast when it comes to drawing and shooting. Okay, but if you've already got a gun on me and I don't have mine in my hand, I'm at a severe handicap, and that's what we tried to emphasize These you and, and the people that would know that, you know, are your guys that do have either military or law enforcement experience, you know, or are tactical trainers or what have you, okay? Um, so we tried to emphasize that to these guys, you know, and then just for, just for curiosity, you know, I told him, I said, you know, one of the guys asked me, well, what happens if law enforcement comes to there right now and you're standing right there? I said, My hands are going on the hood of that truck. Man, I'm not looking for, <laughs> a, for a showdown, you know? I've been on two way firing ranges. I've been, shot. I've been shot. I mean, I've been shot at. I've been, you know, I've shot back. Uh, you know, I've been on this realm. I'm not looking for that against Americans, and that's what a lot of these guys don't get. These are still Americans coming in there, okay? And, you know, I'm like, okay, I said, well, if they come through right now, who's, who's, who's their eyes going to be on? Who's the first person right here their eyes are going to be on and watching? You know, and everybody looked around. You know, and like I said, you're, you're up there, you know, you're dealing with a bunch of guys that are wearing, like, commercial real tree camouflage and stuff like that. And then you got me standing there, okay? Melvin's standing there in a pair of jeans and a jacket, you know, then you got me standing there. I'm standing there in 5'11s, six hour on my hip. You know, I conduct myself, you know, professionally. That's how I was raised. That's how I live, okay? And their all eyes came back on me. They're like, you, you're going to be the one they look at. I'm like, no. You know, and they're like, well, how do you figure not? And I looked at him. I said, well, I said, actually, the one person, they're going to be looking, they're going to be eye-banging. And the person they're going to be targeting
2: I isn't me. You.
1: <laughs> you know, and they look back around at each other trying to be, trying to figure out, genuinely trying to figure out who. And they're like, okay, we don't get it. And I looked at Jeff Spanek. I'm like, son, it's you. He's like, what do you mean? I said, the world knows. I said, there's, there's all kinds of memes, there's all kinds of posters, movies, you know, everything else about, exa- about the most dangerous world is a Marine and his rifle. I'm like, you guys have heard that saying, right? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, we've all heard that. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, son, you're standing here in United States Marine Corps desert marpat camouflage with a plate carrier and an AR slung over your chest. I said, son, do you think that they're going to interpret you're here for a tea party? I said, you look like a marine. I said, therefore, you're the one they're going to be looking at because you're the one that, that, that would theoretically have the training. He's like, but I'm not a marine. Doesn't make a difference. You're wearing the outfit. Why like, you
0: dress like one?
1: You know, I said, if you know, if I walk down the street in a firefighter's outfit and a house is burning, people are going to look at me stupid when I don't respond. I said, son, you're standing. You dress <laughs> like a marine. I said, that's the image you're going to have. You know. And we kept talking to him and, and, and trying to get them to, to grasp these concepts. And it was that night there that three of Jeff's buddies—remember, he, he showed up with three with three guys, was four people in that car. His three buddies, and one of the dudes with their rope sling was one of them that took off and went back home because they decided that this was, you know, this wasn't what it was, should have been. But Jeff stayed. Right. And I was severely we were- disappointed when I got back and seen
0: him. Were you disappointed? I mean, you're, you know, Mark. There's, there's quite an age gap between you and I. I mean, you're, you're what in your thirties?
1: Yeah, I'm 37.
0: Okay, so, um, you know, Jeff's in his lower twenties, I believe. You know, uh, so I mean, you're not necessarily old enough to be his father. But did you kind of feel that way from because of your past and your history and stuff like that when you're looking at these younger guys? I mean, there's kind of that responsibility as the responsible one, even if you didn't have a direct tie to them, which is kind of a fatherly or a parenting thing, so to speak. I mean, when, when you're seeing this, um, I guess maybe this is a really good good place uh, to start segueing, you know, deeper into, like, who you are and where you've been and stuff. Can you identify uh, from your past as being someone similar to Jeff or even similar to Ryan or or anything or even similar to Nam and Bundy for that matter. I mean, you you know you've had an evolution of your <clears throat> own, uh, and I think that your evolution from you know the talking that you and I have had over the past month or so uh, is part of what won me over as far as my trust factor in you and moving forward each week and what we're talking about and so with these with these young guys, and even some of the older ones, even those that are older than you and stuff, I mean I'm older than you, you're certainly teaching me lots of stuff, so it's not it's not an age thing per se; it's an experience thing. so uh, I don't know how deep or how far you want to go back you know into that, but if you can at least kind of directly speak on where and who maybe in in the Oregon standoff picture that you can identify your own self with as being kind of like them in an archetype along the way and kind of how it started, how long you've been doing this and all of
1: that. I started, I started to get into militias uh, about 15 years ago. Um, You know, militias back to where what I'm used to are different than what a lot of them are today. You know, militias back then were, were like Melvin brought up in one of the shows. It was about community. It was about you know being there for your community, um, you know, trying to fix communities, but strengthening your communities, empowering your own people. You know, militias today are much more, um, you know, they, they they're much more you know run around out in the woods and play with your guns and so on and so forth. It, it's taken a much dra- much 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 drastic change. Uh, as far as anybody I could identify with up there, you know, yeah, when I was younger, I was more like Jeff Panek. you know, I believed that you know I believed where I was at, I believed in my mission, I believed in what I, what we were doing. Um, thankfully, <clears throat> back then, there was no Ryan Paynes. you know, I didn't have any of that, you know, I' never had the guys that um, that had just off the wall stuff.
0: Um, I want to let the listeners know uh, that I'm hearing you and I'm seeing you. Some of the listeners lost sound on the show. Uh, some of the listeners can hear clearly. Uh, so if you have lost uh, <laughs> Sue, uh, since I can't type it into the chat room, please let the listeners know to shut down. Don't just hit refresh. Just go ahead and close out their window and then reload altogether. It should work. There's a couple people that have already tried that, and it works just fine. Uh, it's Blog Talk Radio. We're still live and connected here. So if you lost sound, uh, reload your page. Uh, Mark, with, um, with your past, and I'm sorry if I missed it because, again, I had a flood of people saying that we lost sound entirely and I was trying to gauge if we had it, so I don't mean to make you necessarily repeat everything that you just said. How long have you been involved in militias, per se?
1: About 15 years.
0: Okay, so you were quite young, you know, like like some of these guys. So what when you first went into uh, into all of that, why
1: did you go into it? I went into it to try to help out and make a difference with the community. You know, militias back where I'm from, um, you know, we had basically more or less what I'm trying to set up here with the Arizona 3%. You know, we had different facets. We had medical. We had a, we had community, you know, public relations, so on and so forth.
2: <clears throat>
1: That's what I'm used to. You know, and then when I come out here to Arizona, a lot of the militias out here, are nothing more than let's grab our guns and our camouflage and run off into the desert for the weekend and go shoot stuff and, you know, post YouTube videos. That's not a militia. That's just some fools that run around with guns and gear. You know, militias are, militias are community based. And that's what a lot, a lot of people don't grasp. And that's why militias have the negative connotation or the negative, you know, uh, appearance and, uh, you know, it's because that's all they see. You know, they think they see militia. They see, you know, guys that quite frankly never joined the military. You know, if you want to just go play with guns and gear, well, go um, be, go be infantry. That's what they do. That's what they do best. You know, but they don't. That's all they do. And that's why guys like me, you know, <clears throat> people have brought up, you know, like with the, the night of the arrest up there, where I made the comment to the FBI that I'm not part of a militia. No, I'm part of, you know. A community organization. I'm part of, you know, with the Arizona 3%, there again, we do have a, a tactical defensive arm, but that is not what we are in the entirety. Can
0: you tell the listener exactly
1: what that whole 3% itself means? Well, the 3% was historically was the 3% of the citizens that stood up against the British Crown. Okay. Now, things change over time. You know, today, you know a three percent isn't just for um, you know stand up against the government. We're here for all kinds of things. You know here in arizona we're 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 starting with you know trying to get into and helping the homeless, trying to you know work with different sheriffs, different legislators, so on and so forth, so that we can get the right ones elected, you know, trying to get people out there. To vote, you know, if you look at, if you pull any any county voting registry, you know, how many people in your county do you have? How many people voted for the sheriff? But it's normally not that many, but those are the same people that want to sit there and complain, well, you know, this guy did this and this guy did that. Well, did you get out and vote? Oh, no, I was, I was uh, I, I sat at home that night. Well, okay. Then go to home now. Right.
0: So when we're, or we're going to jump around a little bit because um, there's someone very vocal in the chat room, but I have a valid question, so we're going to, we're going to backtrack a second. Um, mm. Last week, you and I touched on this, um, but we didn't go much deeper than just touching on it. You had said something, and you're saying some similar stuff when you're talking about um, people having passion for what they believe in and truly believing, you know, what, what they believe in and standing on that principle. And that you have to respect mm. that. And, and, and I agree that, that you need to um, respect where that's coming from in the sense of, wow, well, this person truly believes what they believe, right or wrong, and they're going to stand up for it. But when we were talking about this last week, um, you know I'd asked, well, what if come to find out that thing that they truly believe in is absolutely illegal? And it's something that they're encouraging other people to do. And um, so there were some people that kind of felt we didn't answer that enough. And so when you're talking about standing in pr- on principle and that you know people need to respect that, um, the, the the counter to that is, but what if they're still wrong and it's causing damage? Because there were a lot of beliefs in certain things that ultimately created the Oregon standoff. Um, that was based on some fallacies from the Bundy Ranch and, you know, and embellishments and, and maneuverings and opportunistic things as well. And so there were many people there thinking that they were on this righteous mission uh, based on other people's beliefs, uh, but they believed it fully, which is truly uh, the definition of a cult. So how does the average citizen understand that how how does law enforcement address that because i think that cult followers who do things against the law still have to pay for their crimes however i think in the court of laws uh, that there are some different considerations taking there but a lot of these people don't really um realize that and see that and I see a lot of parallels here uh, so can can you kind of talk about that because we can't ultimately respect somebody for standing on their principle if they're doing something illegal encouraging other people especially when it's younger people that have families that are losing it all like Travis Cox like you know um, these other guys we've been talking about
1: correct well I mean there again there's a big difference between standing on your principle and legalities you know Um, you can stand on principle and you can admire somebody for standing on their principle, even though they are dead wrong on something, but that doesn't mean you have to allow them to continue, you know, um, take like with Oregon, you know, those guys were standing on their principles. You know, they were standing on their, their view of the constitution. And and I do believe that they had a a slightly skewed view of what the constitution says. Um, That's why we try talking them into going to private property versus just, okay, they're staying on their principles, and we're going to let them continue go ahead and stay here at the refuge. No, they were staying on their principles, but we tried to shift them and try to direct them so that they could continue to stay on their principles, and the mission, and, and mission could go forward. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Um, I want to let the listeners know, again, um, I see you and I hear you. There are still some people <laughs> that have perfect sound, and there are still some people that no matter what they do, uh, they cannot get any sound at all. I would suggest to try Google Chrome as your browser um, first, uh, and if it still doesn't work, then obviously the archive will be ready, you know, within the hour after the live show ends. I apologize. That's a blog talk radio thing. We are still live, and there are plenty of people that are that still hear us. If you can't hear us, go ahead and hang out in the chat room still, and um, I'm sure there will be people in there that are happy to fill you in along the way so that you can conversate with them. Uh, Mark, when... When What was the first uh, – this might be a tough question, and I actually – I don't think you and I have actually discussed this at all, uh, so um, you handle this how you, how you will. But what was kind of the first you, – you've been involved in – you know what? I'm going to take a fun break real quick before I go into this deep thing. One of the things that people call me out on all the time is that, yes, I have some crutch words. We all have crutch words, uh, and you never notice them, and most people don't notice them until you do a radio show. A TV show or a video, you don't notice them as much because you've got all kinds of visual stuff going on. But when it's rare, when it's just raw audio, especially live – Um, those crutch words stand out after a couple shows. And so every so often I mention this, we have kind of an internal drinking game, whether anyone's drinking or not, but just a funny aside, is that I know I say the reality is and here's the deal a lot, as well as the word um. (laughs) And so if you are a drinking sort uh, or a 420 smoking sort. Go ahead and use that to your advantage. So, anytime I say here's the deal, or the reality is, or in Mark's case, anytime he clears his throat or says there again, <laughs> uh, that is your cue to have a little bit of fun. So, also, if you uh, have missed any of tonight's show because of sound or or time or whatever, you can catch the archives. You can catch the stories on challengingtherhetoric.news, and of course, hit us up on social media. We do have a live chat room at Blog Talk Radio dot com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with sherry Robertson and that's c-h-e-r-i uh, there's lots of people in the chat room so please do join us mark what was so here here, here we're going to go a little deeper um, and i'm not trying to put you on the spot but just in this conversation made me think to ask you this what was the first incident you say you've been involved with malicious for about 15 years what was the first incident how long were you into it and 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 i don't know what you can really say about whatever it may have been but what was the first thing that happened that kind of made you, like, draw back and question, like, wow, you know, something's not necessarily okay here or things might be going in an odd, odd direction or I really don't want to be a part of that, whatever it may be?
1: Um, the other thing, because I never, I never got that until I came out here. You know, and once I come out here, you know, but when I, when I was coming out here, I started to research being out here, you know, and different, different groups were out here. And the ones that kept popping up with, like, you know, um, you know, the Minutemen and stuff like that because they were the ones that made the news with their dealings. You know, so once I came out here, it was definitely a learning experience because I had never dealt with this. I had never dealt with, you know, militias that, quote, unquote, do nothing other than <clears throat> just go out into the desert and either do border ops or just train or, or such like that. I'd never seen that before. That was completely new to so you
0: me. You hadn't seen, like, the community aspect of it?
1: Well, that was what I was used to. I was used to the community aspect. Oh,
2: okay. I was Not never used that.
1: to the, the the singularity of just camouflaging guns because there's, there's more to it than that. You know, back historically, <clears throat> you know, there, there was a lot more, you know, that was a lot more of what it was. But today, you know, in today's aspect, there's, you know, it, it, had to, it has to grow and evolve and change, and that's what it's done. But out here, it's kind of behind the behind the path a little bit.
0: Was there something like extraordinary that happened uh, uh, negatively? Extraordinary. Uh, I, uh, currently, for some people, sound is back. FYI. So if you're uh, <laughs> so if somebody can say in the chat room for me, I'd appreciate it that you now have regained sound. So anybody that's still in the chat room that thinks they don't have sound can go ahead and refresh. Um, was there was there any one particular incident like a, a specific you don't have to name names or anything like that but was there something that kind of just like blew you away and It's like whoa 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 this is not okay
1: there was a uh, an individual I got involved with um, you know I don't really want, i mean he is a he is a resident of a resident of florence prison um, <clears throat> you know the his rhetoric. Was completely ridiculous. But not only was his rhetoric ridiculous, he was—he was one of these guys that would just go on Facebook about it as well, and that kind of just blew me away. You know, I did maintain contact with him because, there again, he was one of the guys that, um, you know, we didn't want him around us.
0: Right. Was he just like a loose cannon sort? I mean, was he just a danger to be around because of stupidity or because of aggressiveness? or Because I think there's a little of all of that, you know, in, in all organizations. Um, so when when we're, like, pointing fingers at situations, not necessarily people or whatever, was it about, you know, was it how he handled himself, like, on the dumb level again? Or, you know, that stupidity versus aggressive or whatever? Or both?
1: Well, um, I mean, I'll give you the backstory on it. Two years ago, <clears throat> this guy was operating down in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Now, you know, he called up. He had a, you know, he had a good stick with me that, uh, you know, there was all kinds of activity down there, so on and so forth. Okay, so I said, I'll, I'll, I'll make a ride down there. My truck was in Freightliner, um, had had the front end replaced. So I went down there. Come to find out, they were just hanging out in a motel. You know, so I only stayed about stayed like two days, three days, and I left. Now, it was about. Two weeks later, a week and a half later, a video surfaced on YouTube on this guy's Facebook page. Or not on not a, not a video surfaced on YouTube. It surfaced on this guy's Facebook page, and uh, what it was is they showed a 308 uh, bolt action rifle laid across the hood of a truck. They had a uh, smartphone hooked up uh, on. There's some kind of adapter you can buy to hook your sar- your smartphone up onto spotting scopes <clears throat> and what they were looking at was just across the border uh just across the fence there was mexican military there where they were they were washing themselves in stock tanks now even on the video you how could watch these guys did not have weapon, 400 yards
0: how far is away? what their range
1: 400 yards what their ranging was um so you could see these guys they were definitely unarmed you know they were just washing themselves in a stock tank and you could hear them talking well, the guy that owned the rifle, the pickup, um, you know, he was, they're ranged at four, I was like 412 yards. I have a round the chain where I'm going to take the safety off. And then you hear one of the other guys go, dude, there's Border Patrol coming. So you watch everything get all shaky and everything get taken down real quick. But they put this video on Facebook. So <clears throat> two nights later I see it, and I called him up. Um, and I'm like, How you doing? Well, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I said I oh, was going on the border. He's like, good. I'm like, good. I said, have you got, hit, you know, have you suffered some kind of brain injury or something down there? Well, no. Why? I said, man, you just posted a video on Facebook, citing an unarmed Mexican military on the other side of the border, and talking about how you're going to snipe them. I said, and I can hear two other guys in there. And he told me the names of the two other guys. And coincidentally. Those two guys are. One of them is in jail in Washington, and one of them is in jail in Oregon. Um, and you know, I'm like, with the three of you standing, I said, "You understand that's conspiracy, commit murder, right there, correct?" Well, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, that's not cool. You can't put stuff like that on Facebook. And having a conversation with them, I made them understand. Even if
0: you're joking. Exactly. Even the the way the laws go, and we're going to talk about some of those laws on social media here shortly, but just just for everybody listening now, the way the laws read on this particular incident that Mark's talking about, Mm. when you put that out there on social media – it's the same as if you're dealing with someone face-to-face, the way the laws go, not just the federal laws but, as, but also the different state laws, the localities. And that is, is that you do not, the, the, the potential victim who would be the defendant uh, or, 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 the, or the, the, the plaintiff, they do not have the onus whatsoever to prove that you actually had real intent or that you had the means to actually follow through with it it is an outright crime to do that period even as a joke go ahead I'm sorry
1: correct well that's the same thing that Robert Crooks got in trouble for because he did that over, same thing over in California you know they put a video up where it showed you know somebody off in the, off in the distance and they fired some shots at him. and come to find out the entire thing they say it was staged but it sure got him pretty good running for quite a while at Border Patrol, to the point where he left California and came to Arizona.
0: So the you other know, case that um, you are talking about, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, the other, well, the case here in in Arizona, uh, it involved, but uh, the, the the one guy that was down there, like I said, he's he's incarcerated here in Arizona now. <clears> the <throat> other two guys that were down there, was Skylar Barbeau and Blaine Cooper. Those are the two guys that were down there with them. And as we know, Skylar's in Washington and Blaine's in Oregon.
0: Right, both sitting behind bars or in concrete rooms. Um, Because that's where this particular type of behavior without responsibility and accountability leads people. Um, the, the one particular case that, that you were talking about the, a couple of years ago in uh, Phoenix, I did a quick Google search while you were talking, and I think I know what that case is. Um, I, I don't know that you necessarily want me to mention what it is or, or confirm whether I'm correct or not, but I can tell the listeners that based off the information that Mark just gave, uh, it should be a very simple Google search for you. It was a very prominent uh, case, a very big case, And when it comes to anything to do with uh, border ops and militias and stuff like that, it's probably one of the bigger cases that you may have been aware of at some point. And that is how close, uh, the reason I point that out, uh, the the gravity of this particular case, is that is how close that someone like Mark, who is, at least now, uh, regardless of past, is one of the good guys and um, had the sense not to get involved In this, because we might be telling a whole different story, and he certainly wouldn't have been there to get a lot of people to leave the Nellier refuge in January before more people were in trouble and/or harmed or killed, uh, like Lavoy Finicum. Mark, so back back to your background itself. um, As you started maneuvering into this kind of new world from what you initially started out with, more of this community type organization into something that was becoming more offensive, more aggressive. What? How did that kind of guide and lead you from there?
1: What do you mean? I kind of lost well, you a little bit on that one.
0: Well, you know, when, when when you're involved in something and it starts evolving into something else that you didn't necessarily buy into and you're trying to, you know, manage it and people along the way and stuff – how are you yourself evolving? How is other people's behaviors making you look at your own, uh, not only in the past, but currently at those times and moments and kind of maybe um, reevaluate, I guess, maybe is a good word?
1: Well, it's like with now, that's, that's you know, there we again with having the Arizona 3%. You know, with all these things that I've learned over time, that's why I've got this organization set up the way it is. And that's why... You know, I am starting to take more of a active role into trying to bring, you know, the the Jeff Spanics us versus him being hooked up with the Ryan Paints. You know, Jeff, there again, Jeff's, you know, he's an Army vet, <clears throat> you know, so he does have a he does have a soft spot with me. Um, you know, those guys there. They they're gonna they they believe in what they're doing and they believe in what in doing it right. <clears throat> Unfortunately, when they're a follower, you can kind of get shifted a little bit. So we're trying to bring guys like him into us and keep them on the right path and let them let them make a difference the right way. What what
0: would be and this might be kind of. <laughs> On one hand, this is probably one of the most personal questions I have asked, and so I apologize in advance of you necessarily want to address <clears> it, but when you're dealing with someone like Jeff, do you have that moment to take him aside and kind of like, you know, shake a stick out him and like, "Dude, wake up. What are you doing?" I mean, how how would that conversation go?
1: You have to talk, you have to figure out who they are and how they are. You know, would Jeff we, you know, we started we we started the conversation with him there again because he's an Army vet. You know, so Jeff does have a certain de- certain desire to do the right thing. He does understand things like honor. He does understand things like loyalty. You know, and that's where we talked to him on it.
0: Would you? Open up the, aside from the honor and responsibility in that sense, because obviously you have to address their quote unquote patriotism and their cause and their reasoning and beliefs and whatever those may be. But just like we opened the show talking about these lower level players being arrested and how the feds could uh, press them for info um, to make a deal and stuff like that, when you're talking to them, do you stress that familial stuff if they're, if they're a parent or, or whatever the kids, Do you use that to your advantage your, when, you're, when you're trying to uh, mentor them, I think is the best word to use, not educate them because that's almost speaking over them in, in, in you know, a negative fashion. But I think you're mentoring in a lot of ways. Because what I've learned about you, Mark, is that you, you don't necessarily want to push people off right quick. Uh, and I think I think that a lot of people might make that assumption about you because of your general personality, uh, especially if they start like perusing your Facebook pages and stuff like that. But but I've gotten an opportunity to get to know you on a different mm-hmm. level, and what I have seen is that when it comes to these young people, you really do have kind of a fatherly, mentorish approach to them, where you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time. You want to give them enough rope to hang themselves too, if they turn out to they're not. if so I can excuse my language, and it's rated R tonight, so I can say that. Uh, but you know, it, once once you get to somebody like Ryan Payne, who's not going to, you know, kind of write up. You know what I mean?
1: With Ryan Payne, there is no working with Ryan Payne. You got to deal with Ryan Payne as Ryan. You know, with as Ryan Payne, and you got to hit it. You got to come at him full face. You know, with guys like Jeff Spanic, <clears throat> yeah, I, maybe I do. I don't know. You know, but when you deal with guys like Jeff, you, you can't give somebody an answer. You can't just come out and say, dude, this is really stupid, and so on and so forth. You have to lay it out there in front of them. You have to let them come to the conclusion themselves. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But if they don't come to the conclusion themselves, you're never going to gain anything with them. They have to see it. Jeff's buddies, Jeff's buddies seen it. You know, in some ways, I believe that Jeff stayed um, on some of, the, some of the same, you know, some of the same wavelength of why I went back. You know, if Jeff stayed because because of what was there, I mean, there again, you're starting to talk with, you know, with Mollier, you know, there was a lot of women and a lot of children in there. You know, did he hear something or see something about pain that made him sit there and go, well, if I duck out of here and something happens, who's going to protect them? Now, something like that, I don't know. I don't know what he's seen. I don't know what he heard. You know, I may be way off on it. But I, we did have enough conversations with Jeff about duty and about honor to where, in my mind, that could be logical, or I could be way off. How
0: do you? How do you? Um without manipulating people, because manipulation is never good, but obviously when we're negotiating with people for whatever our reasons are in negotiating with them, how can you express to anyone listening that's dealing with somebody like that, one of these lower-level people that seems so easily led, so quick to want to follow, um, that in their own selves have probably a lot of integrity but do not know how to project it in such a way that they themselves are their own leader, you know what I mean? How, how can you uh, express, let's say, now we know that Melvin Lee, who's been on the show before, and, and Lewis, we know that they get it. But let's say you were talking to somebody that's kind of on the level of Melvin Lee or Lewis and they don't get it. H- how would you approach that? I mean, if if right now was your platform to say something to those people about, you know, straighten up or fly right, so to speak, I mean, what would be like the, the gist of it?
1: Well, a lot of those guys, they're, you know, guys that um, just aren't purely blanket followers, guys that, you know, do have a, a logical or rational uh, possible way of thinking. You know, there's different ways you can you can go at them. Um, you know, one of the things that I've really started to get on down here, you know, with all this <clears throat> quote-unquote FBI informant nonsense, um, you know, I've talked to different guys down here you know, we we've heard it for quite a while. You know, well, what about if you take You know, what you know, what happens if you take an informant out with you? Well, it's gonna be rather anticlimactic for them. You know, as we talked about last <laughs> week. You know, um, if an informant, or I mean, hell, even if an if an agent or what have you goes with us, you know, happens to go with us on the border, we're not down there to we're not down there to snipe Mexicans. We're not down there to harm anybody. We're not down there to steal drugs. We're not down there to steal cash. All that stuff that we find goes to border patrol. You know, <clears throat> all of us have got a bu- you know different organizations down here. We've got pictures of border patrol being in our camps. Okay? Um so we don't worry about it. We have no problems with it. You know, but then I've been talking with different guys down here that are in groups that come to me and go, "Hey man, you know, this is what we're hearing." We know it's not true because we know you, um but this is what we're hearing. My only my only statement to them at that point in time is if you've got people in your group that are worried about an informant being with you, maybe you need to take a step back and ask yourself what your group's doing. Okay? Our guys don't worry about it. Okay? I talked to guys from Arizona. I talked to guys from Texas. None of us worry about it. Why do we not worry about it? Because we're, we're out there. We're standing on our principles. And we're being righteous in what we do. But if you have to worry about that in format, um, what are you doing? I guess that's the question. What are you doing? you know in Oregon was Oregon was very much that way. you know, I went through my Facebook cool. messenger the there night and I, I I didn't realize there was actually three inboxes you have. You have your inbox and your other box, and you yep. have a filtered box. Yep.
2: <clears throat>
1: I didn't know that I had thousands Welcome of messages in there. <laughs> Well, I had thousands of messages in there, and four of them, interesting enough, were marriage proposals. Um, you know, but I had I had people in there that are like, "Oh, you're a snitch." What, was, what what exactly do you think happened in Oregon that people would need to snitch about? That's what I don't get. Okay, so by you know by that kind of logic, you're implying that that was already an illegal endeavor, or what wow, do you what's somebody that snitching that on? Okay, wow, that's and that's why I sent back crazy. to him. I'm like, dude. I said, so what you're telling me is that you know full well that Oregon was illegal. Well, no, no, it wasn't. It was a peaceful protest. Well, then exactly what is it somebody could have snitched upon? And then he just turned into, well, you're just a fed. Exactly. That's, that's, that right there is how you know that they have nothing more to give you. Okay? I've, I've gotten so used to somebody sitting there going, oh, you're just a fed. Okay. It's the same thing that when my, when, when, when my kids were young. They look at me! You're a poopy head. Okay, fine. That means you have nothing else to argue about. I've won, but you've got to get the last word in. But see, that's what these people don't get with their rhetoric. They just don't get it. <clears throat> you know, they want to come at me. Well, you, 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 know, you snitched on this or you did that. Well, exactly what illegal was going on that you think I could have snitched on? Explain that one to me. And that's where well, the conversation stops because now they
0: right. I mean, I would like them to explain that to the public because they said it so many times. Pete Santilli at the counter protest by calling out a biodiversity guy who is not a Fed um, and and doing it in such a way where putting him on the spot – Where there's a bunch of people that completely are going to disagree with him, you know, if he is a Fed, let alone already disagreeing with him as a counter protest, who are all heavily armed. I mean, that's inciting a dangerous situation, and that happened frequently with people down there, is my understanding. Is that true?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Pete jumped out at that one dude that was up there, you know, and he just got, "Well, this guy's a Fed." Okay. Uh, Then he's maybe you should sit here and talk to him. You know, we do that down here with BLM okay as an example arizona dealing with blm there's been uh environmentalist groups that want to come in here and shut down major swaths of the the valley right here the phoenix valley because our citizens are going out there they're not they're shooting but they're not cleaning their messes up okay so if people check out my page i don't know if i'm allowed to promote it um you know they'll see our desert cleanups out there you know Okay, if people go to the Arizona 3% Facebook page, our community page, they'll see our desert cleanups out there. That is our, that's our our public relations arm. That's what they're doing. Okay, um, we went through a we went to a BLM meeting to figure out what's going on here instead of just jumping on the bandwagon, which a lot of people do. Oh, it's BLM, so they're automatically evil, awful, Nazis, jackbooted thugs, yada yada yada. So we went to this meeting <laughs> to find out what it was. Okay, well, come to find out. Um, You know what it is? Is it's actually environmentalist groups trying to shut this down. Environmentalist groups went in, they sued the BLM because the BLM wasn't taking care of the of the land. A judge in Arizona wanted to shut down these major swaths. BLM went in, fought on our side, and said, "No, we're not shutting down these major swaths of land. We will shut down targeted areas. We will rehabilitate these areas, and then we're going to open them back up." Okay, so it's 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 it's. I don't believe in coincidences, but, man, this sure was one. As we're standing talking, to this BLM Ranger. Now, this guy's a BLM Ranger. He's a keen on handler. Okay? We're talking to him. We're having a conversation. We're finding out where he's seeing problems, where his targeted areas are that <clears throat> they're seeing major problems. So the weekends are organizing our cleanups to get our citizens out there to clean these up because if we don't take care of it ourselves, we've got no right to sit there and go, well, the federal government's in here. Well, of course they're in here. You didn't do this. You didn't take care of it. This is your land, and you're not the one taking care of it. Okay? So as we're standing there, we're having a, a, a great conversation with this guy. He gave us his business card so he can keep in contact. So if he starts seeing trouble areas, bother you know, uh, areas that, that do have a lot of trash and debris, he can get a hold of us and go, okay, this is where you guys need to go this time. Okay, cool. We'll be, you know, we'll take care of it. Okay. You got this guy that just walks up and just out of the blue, no reason whatsoever, just spouts off, well, under Article, you know, under Article 1, Section 8, you know, Clause 17, he just goes at this guy. And you watch about 10 people in the room roll their eyes. And it's like, we all just stood there, you know. And I asked the guy, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, this guy is, he, didn't, he doesn't, you know, he works for, for BLM. He's a ranger, okay? I said, did you, did you honestly think that you are going to come in here today and spout that off to him? And this guy was going to go, I quit. Man, you're right. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. I'm going to quit my job. No, it doesn't work that way. Same thing with Oregon. There wasn't somebody in Washington that was going to sit there and go, holy We've been, we've been interpreting this Constitution 200 years the wrong way. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us to our attention. It's not going to work that way. But that's what, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what those guys do. Okay? And it, it, it hurts us. It hurts our movement, you know, which is a big reason why I don't get into the whole, well, this one's a patriot and that one's a patriot. Well, Nancy Pelosi said Obama was a patriot for Obamacare. <laughs> I think a lot of people would disagree. You know those words right. are thrown around so much. You know they they they've really lost, um, they've lost their meanings. They've lost, you know, they've lost everything about them. You I know,
0: don't think that they've <clears> lost <throat> their they, meaning. I think they've been completely negatively redefined.
1: Well, take like with the with the FBI informant. Um, You know, these guys here, they they throw this around. Oh, my God, I've heard everybody so far is is an FBI informant. Myself, Melvin, Lewis, Pete, Blaine, John Ritzheimer. um, You know, I spoke with Brandon Curtis the other night, you know, and he's like, dude, I'm being called an FBI informant. I'm like, all right, cool. At least you're on the, you know, you're on the same page now. You know, the coffee's on the counter, the whiskey's whiskey's in the fridge, you know,
2: because that's all it is. (laughs)
1: Yeah, because the, if you don't, you know, if you don't or contort to that single person's narrative, oh, you're a fat. No, I just think you're a fool, you know. Um, so because of that, you know, these people, they, they, they throw that around so much, it has really gotten to the point of the boy crying wolf. You know, at this point in time, somebody really could walk in there and go, hey, I'm a Fed. And they're like, oh, all right, this dude's got a sense of humor. Nobody would even know it. Right. It's, gotten, it's, it's gotten that ridiculous.
0: Well, when you're talking about, um, like, these words like patriot and all of that that are, you know, they're just, they're really, for lack of better ways to phrase it, the whole terminology has been molested. Um, but there's a word that I've never heard so much in my life, and it's kind of ironic because I'm a writer and I write these all the time, and that is the word article. <laughs> uh, because, because of uh, the Oregon standoff, and all of the verbiage that came out of that and everybody, you know, citing article this, article that, article this, article that. It's like, I swear, I swear to beans, I have not heard the word article so much in my life as I have over this situation. And I write these articles all day. <laughs> so, um, I know a lot of people, and I, I've mentioned this before on the show uh, on social media. Predominantly, when they uh, suddenly see an avatar now that uh, is, is an obvious quote-unquote petri, as is how it's been presented by so many people now, it's become this very negative connotation and visual. And um, I've gotten to the point, unfortunately, uh, because of all the different kind of cyber attacks and stuff like that that I've encountered in covering this particular story, that. I see those avatars friending me up, and I don't even bother to go look at their page at this point. I just simply don't accept the friend request, And I'm maxed out on Facebook anyway, so I'd have to dump someone to accept it. But there was a time earlier on where I'd at least go check their account. But at this point, it's not even worth my time. I mean, people need to understand what has transpired here. And as I said earlier in the show, the ramifications uh, are are so broad, and the the fingers of them are so far-reaching on so many levels, from Patriot Act and NDAA, and how this is going to affect things like our First Amendment right and our Second Amendment right, and how it's going to affect things when we start talking about other amendments uh, and and you know, an equal e- equal under the law and and all those sorts of things. So, with regards to the negative connotations at this point, I think a lot of people uh, the the visual rhetoric is just as bad and sometimes often worse than the verbal rhetoric. Do you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. I want to ask a question. Oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead. I was just I was off on a, on a tangent. Go ahead.
0: Well, the tangents are okay. we got time. You can take one.
1: <laughs> well, I was just, you know, I was thinking about it, and, and and something that Brandon and I were speaking about the other night or talking about the other night. You know, a lot of these people that are going at us, we're not people that were in oregon okay they're they're you know i spoke to a gentleman the other night he uh he's never he never came at me on facebook okay he did post he did post a list of questions of things that didn't make sense you know so i finally found his message there again in that filtered box and uh you know i we were talking back and forth i mean it was civil you know and as long as it was maintained being civil, I'm like, dude, you know, it's easier if we just talk on the phone. I'll give you my phone number, and you can just call me up. Ask me the questions you want. I don't have nothing to hide. Okay. So this guy calls me up, and I'm like, I've seen this list of stuff you posted. I said, but the one thing that's glaring, I said, I have to ask you this. I said, uh, how long do you think I was at the refuge? He goes, well, up until about three weeks ago. Now, bear in mind, this conversation took place on Monday. He's like, up until about three weeks ago, I thought you were there from the very beginning. And so why would you think that? Because well, that's what I had seen on Facebook. Oh. Right. So if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true.
0: Right. And, of course, it wasn't on you know, your Facebook page. It's everybody else's.
1: Right. You know, so, I mean, this stuff, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's hilarious at some points. At other points, it's downright scary, just how foolish or how anthony some of this
2: stuff is.
0: Well, I um, I know that uh, – I'm not sure who exactly you're talking about, but I know that you and Melvin and I, at the very least, have had the same experience with, with the same man who you made a Sapphire video about a couple weeks ago. And I'll repost that ah. Sapphire video uh, again uh, about – uh, you know, Cowboy John Wayne, because uh, it's, it's kind of funny. And there were a couple people that didn't even realize that your video was satire, which which I thought was funny, but then again, I'm used to your delivery now, and so I caught on right away. Plus, this person has, uh, you know, tried to yank my chain. So I have a question. You you brought up Melvin and um, and some others, and I, I think that because I have had Melvin Lee on the show and because I have had Lewis Arthur on the show, um, or as some people know him as Louis Proper, and, and I, obviously I've had you on the show lots of times, can you maybe, because there are very real differences between the three of you, you guys are all uh, what the general public would look at as militia. Uh, you know, no matter how we want to term it, that would be the, the connotation in their mind. So... Can you explain a little bit because I think it's interesting um, you know that you and Melvin have the type of friendship that you have, and you guys are very different people, and Melvin and Lewis are very, very different people, but yet you have great working relationships and mutual respect for one another with all your varying and different beliefs. Can you talk a little bit on that
1: well Melvin and i are Melvin and I are similar in a lot of things, um, different in a few. Lewis is <clears throat> Lewis is pretty much our polar opposite. You know, Melvin and I are, are very conservative. Uh, Lewis is a liberal, um, but at the end of the day, we're Americans, and that's what makes our makes us different. That's what makes our dynamic actually work. Because Lewis and I may disagree on different things, but at the end of the day, we're Americans, and we want what's best for our state, our country, our communities. You know. I applaud Lewis for the amount of work he's done with, you know, as far as a the 22-a-day goes, you know, the, the veteran suicide, for the amount of work mm-hmm. he's done with homeless. I mean, the the, the man is tireless with it. He, he
0: sacrifices much a lot we're, we're, in, his, he does. in his day-to-day life. Um, and, and his family also sacrifices uh, not for him but for the cause, his, his ministry that he does, as he calls it, um, You know, and there is something very honorable in that when when somebody is really trying to, as he says, hashtag getting it right. Um, So, you know, I've I've earned a lot of respect uh, for the three of you for different reasons and in different ways, and it was definitely respect I did not have when we began this adventure together. Um, So I really appreciate that. Um, One of the things I would like you to address – and. Here's one of the problems that I see of quote-unquote leaders of militia groups and organizations and that is that sometimes they have a hard time publicly calling out their own. Um, however, uh, when that goes twofold because it's both ways. The only time they have a hard time uh, historically, as, as you can see publicly, of calling out their own is when their own has done something wrong. It seems that legitimately wrong. It seems like there are plenty of people that want to call out somebody for doing something wrong that didn't, like in your case and all the accusations towards you. But I, I am definitely seeing that there are a lot of people that struggle with the calling out of their own. And I can I can imagine, um, and this might not apply to you, Mark, but, but I can imagine that especially in the heat of this particular situation that has happened, that sometimes it might be an uncomfortable position because it's it's an incestuous world in that sense of everybody's kind of embedded not necessarily in bed but embedded with one another in these groups in some way for some reason at some times and so you don't want to alienate people so how, how can on a public realm because and this is a, to, with regards to some specific things so let me set that up real quick there is still uh, and it really has not lessened much at all since Uh, the events at the Melior Refuge here in Burns, Oregon. But there is still lots and lots of public social media uh, posting and YouTube videos and um, blog posts that are outright threats, some of which uh, there was a a guy just the other day who was publicly posting a self-proclaimed militia dude publicly, you know, proclaiming that he was going to take out the feds with c four uh the 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 language being used is beyond rhetoric it 's outright threats and stuff which only further hurts not only what you and Melvin and Lewis and others like you are trying to accomplish, but it absolutely hurts, and I think maybe I'm asking you to address the that patriots on this, um, how that hurts the people that are in jail awaiting trial and those on pretrial release and the movement as a whole, uh, and so on and so forth. And then after that, I'm going to go into like the actual laws with regards to what they're doing.
1: Okay. Well, some of these guys with their, you know, like with that one there, and you you sent it to me.
2: <clears throat>
1: you know, talking about using C4 to take out feds. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely stupid, you know, but these guys don't think about it. They, they don't think that by using Twitter or by using Facebook, there's any accountability to it, you know, and that's part of the problem. Now, as far as empowering people, <clears throat> that's where I've got to do a better job because I do feel that in some ways I have failed in a lot of those aspects by not making myself uh, more public, And I, I take the blame for that. If I had made myself more public and with my focus and my goals, maybe I could have stopped some people from being foolish for lack of a better term. Um, that's something that I am changing now, you know, hence the reason why I've got a community page set up where I can push it and people can get in contact with us, you know, um, Beyond that, these people have to. You you, you can't be a follower. With some of these militias, you do see that. You do see guys that they don't want to speak up. Well, you know, well, he's in charge. Well, dude, you're this a volunteer organization. This isn't the military. This is a volunteer organization. You got the right to stand up and say something to them. You know, we do, when we do border ops, some of the, you know, sometimes when I take different people down the border, um, you know, I lay the maps out and go. Okay, this is the in, this is the intel I've got. Is it my op? Sure it is. But so I lay the I lay the map out and say, okay, this is the intel I've got. What do you guys think? You know, and I've got one guy. Uh, he he uh, he's actually a, a very prominent member of my team. When we first started talking, his thing was, you know, I'll just defer to you because you've got more experience doing this than me. I said, well, do you want to be on my team? He goes, yes. And I said, you need to understand, you're not beneath. Okay, if, if you ever put yourself beneath me and you're afraid to question what I say, I don't need you. I don't want you here. said because I look through, you know, I look at things with my background, with my training, with my experience. I look at things through a very biased set of eyes. We all do. You look, at, you look through things from the, the journalist's point of view. You know, hence a, a conversation you and I had the other night I'm like, you got to stop looking so deep into it. It really is just this simple but you just kept looking right. deeper into it because that—that's the journalist in you. Okay, we all have these these, these biases. I don't want a follower. You know, I want someone that, if they're new, I can bring them in. I can grow them. I can, you know, set them out there so that they're—they're they're a team member, not just a subordinate. I don't want a subordinate. How I've got two dogs as it is. I don't need
0: another. <laughs> Right, gotcha. So we're, we're winding down, uh, you know, we have a little bit more than 10 minutes left, and um, I do want to share a couple uh, like laws uh, that are actual laws. Now, I did a show Monday that was about federal laws with regards to cyber stalking, uh, cyberbullying, which is usually the term when it's a child that cyber stalking is usually the legal term for adults, uh, online harassment, and, and death threats and threats. I had uh, one of the leading cyber crime and forensic experts, cyber forensic experts in the country, Frederick Lane, on the show. He's a regular guest on both of my shows, and uh, it it was a great show. If you missed that show this this past Monday, I, I encourage anybody to please go and listen to it. But, Mark, when we're talking about someone like this guy the other day that I sent you putting up, you know, the thing about C4, now the truth is, is it wouldn't matter on, on an ethical level and even on a legal level to a certain extent whether that threat was directed at FEDS or local law enforcement or even at a private individual. The threat is real, the threat is there, and it's now publicized. And um, so I think that what people need to know is what I touched on earlier is that these people that post something like this man did, even if it's not his original post, even if he's commenting within someone else's post, and he says things like that, and then people buy into that. People glom onto that, and they start perpetuating that. He is now responsible for that and what they do. And in this crazy world that we live in, and you've seen some of the threats towards me or Melvin and others, and I've, and so, as I have with all of you guys, and um, you know, these things, the ugliest stuff that comes out of them are uh, usually... Not even necessarily from the one that originally posted it, and the the way things are perpetuated online is pretty outrageous. And so, I wanted to let the listeners know uh, before I wrap up here with Mark that if you uh, go and listen to Monday's show, and you'll you'll get a, a good rundown on on it, and and on what the repercussions to you if you are participating in this, or what to do if you are a victim of this, these sorts of things. But let's talk a little bit on state laws and. Look at your penal code, and there are several penal codes. Penal codes that I would like. I'm really trying hard not to say penile codes. <laughs> I have a cold still uh, after my asthma attack the other day, so that's why my voice is so rough. And some of my words I'm stumbling on here. Um, but the penal codes, some that are worth looking at, is section three, section four, four, uh, section four two two, section four, section six. 6- as well as um, state law, uh, as as well as um, section 653m, and and that would go for both A and B of that. And to to give you a little indication of that, what that means is uh, most states, okay, all federal aside, most states now treat uh, cyber stalking equally to face-to-face talking, And um, when they're talking about electronic devices and stuff like that, if you're posting videos or social media or whatever the case may be, blogs or your own private website, um, and you're making these sorts of threats, you're doing this inciting thing, let me remind you, there are 37 people facing trial for essentially what has culminated from that very thing of everything that's gone out in, online without language. Truly, for the most part, because had not that social media aspect, that public aspect of all of that happened, there would have been a lot less things uh, for authorities to have said, aha, 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 charge, 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 or whatever the case may be. So we need to keep that in mind, but don't forget that your your responsibility in participating in something like that doesn't stop with just what you say. It, it carries on to what other people have done. There are also people out there that make phony social media accounts to impersonate somebody that they're going after and stalking. Um, in my case, they've done it multiple times. And there's actually a state law about impersonating somebody. And all it takes to prove that they've actually legitimately impersonated you, aside from using your name and image, is if even one or two people actually think it's you. And uh, I don't think people realize that because a lot of these people, when they create these sorts of accounts for whatever their purpose of attack is towards somebody, and they're doing this a lot to public figures, um, is that they come off as if they really are initially in the first few posts and I was seeking out people to follow them. And it's as soon as they've gotten attention and everybody's wondering why you or you or you have a brand new account and what happened to your old to generate that conversation, that's when they start in with the slams and it becomes apparent it's not you or me or whoever, um, you know, or Governor Kate Brown of Oregon or whoever the case may be. So when you're seeing this sort of stuff online, Within your organization, Mark, are you addressing it with people publicly at all? Are you addressing it with them behind the scenes privately at all? Um, What is the course of action here? Because I personally think, and and not to lay it in your lap but I personally think that people like you and Melvin and Lewis who are leaders uh, have a responsibility to police that, so to speak.
1: Well, with our organization, we don't allow it. Okay, <clears throat> you know, we can't really control what somebody puts on their personal Facebook page. If we see it, if we see something on somebody's personal Facebook page, we'll address it with them. Um, if they want to leave it up there, then we've got to decide what we're going to do from there. You know, if somebody posts on their personal Facebook page, you know, that they want to take like with that one guy there to use C4 to kill feds, there's, I mean, there's not even a discussion. We just, we just get rid of you. There's no talking to you. You know, if, you, if it's a, a lower rhetoric, you know, <clears throat> we'll, just, we'll have a discussion and go from there. You know, but we do not allow anything like that on our pages themselves. You know, if it's on when our we pages, approach, we'll just delete it. Excuse me?
0: That's great. When you first approach somebody that's doing that within your organization, in general, what is their reaction to you approaching them?
1: A lot of people are, they get um, rather sheepish once you come, once you go to them and you go, what are you doing here? You know, I had, uh, you know, I had one guy that he's, uh, he come out pretty hard against the Fed. Just let me ask you a question. I said, uh, you and your, in your ways and your physical abilities and training and so on and so forth. I said, are you ready for say ISIS to be here to have that fight on our streets? I said, I want your honest opinion, not what you believe. He's like, well, no, not really. I said, well, then who do you think is standing in the way between you and ISIS? So, those same feds that you uh, just wanted to degrade right there. And then once I told that, you know, once I, once I asked him that and explained it to him in that manner, he took his post down. I've had other guys go, well, this is my first moment right. Yep, you're right. It's your first moment right. Um, right now, what's your first moment right? But if you ever do something stupid, that's what they're going to be called – that's what they call uh, evidence, period.
0: Do you think think that when you – go ahead.
1: I'll just say we do not – we don't tolerate it at all.
0: Do you think when you pull them aside and when you're talking about how they get sheepish, because I I think that there's the dynamic of they're no longer on a stage when they're being confronted. I think that that stage of social media, that, that old Roman Coliseum, that modern-day old Roman Coliseum that we now have via the Internet and social media is empowering to people for this behavior. And I think that... Maybe, if you had approached them in an open thread, maybe their response and reaction might be more belligerent um, i I don't know that that could be true, but do you think that just being able to take them off that stage away from followers and all the the likes, the clicks, the shares, the thumbs up, and all that empowering is, is part of what helps
1: well yeah you can't confront them on a, you can't confront them on on a public stage because then they're they're going to get defensive on you. And you, there's no there's no point in the discussion at that point in time. You have to take somebody to the side. Nobody wants to be, you know, nobody wants to be gotten into in public. Nobody. I don't care who you are. Okay. If you pull somebody aside away from everybody else, where they don't have to feel, you know, like they have to defend themselves, then you can get a much better response out of them.
0: That's a really good answer, and, and I think that, that people really need to hear that, um, you know, not one of those in one ear and out the other. Like, that's not important. What Mark just said right now is, is very important, and not just for people that are leaders or members or friends of people and militias, but any organization, activist or otherwise, uh, you have to take responsibility. You have to be able to talk to people on the appropriate level in order to actually make change, which is in part and parcel what Mark and I have been trying to do with you all for about a month is you know having some kindred spirit meeting of the opposite and differentiating minds to show you that it's absolutely possible. Mark, thank you so much for being so gracious to me. Your time is truly appreciated. Your insight, your addition to this story, and, and just the, the the local coloring and flavor that you add to everything else is it's it's been more than valuable and appreciated. I, I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. I appreciate you bringing me on here and letting me uh, let me make you know get my side out there. Uh, I've very much loved our shows. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, all right, so you know I've grown very accustomed to having Mark on the show. It's almost like I had a male co-host, you know, here for a month or so. Many of you keep asking for more, more Mark, and this is not his last time here. Uh, but we're going to work out something a little bit different uh, and and broaden this out. We're going to continue to cover the trials and stuff, but we're just going to do it in a, in a little bit of a different pattern. So Mark's not like going away and disappearing. Many of you listening have expressed to me um, how much you've learned uh, from what Mark and I have doing, and I appreciate that you've been open to that learning, because there's no point in me even trying if, if whoever you are do not open your mind and open your heart to the possibility that you are wrong or that I am wrong uh, or anything like that. I mean, those are important. I admit that there's times I am wrong, and there are times I may be wrong and not even realize it, uh, and it's, it's all about the approach. It's all about how, how, how you do it. Now, with the things that we're doing online and otherwise, I say this, I end my show with this almost every single week. Those who seek only to confirm their biases are the ones who stop seeking real truth, and in doing so, they become the very creators and curators of the very propaganda that they say that they fight against, and that goes all ways, not just both ways. So it's up to each of you to take responsibility for the propaganda that you participate in and create. And if you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others, you can find the archives here on, on Radio and, of course, on the website at rhetoric.news. If you like what I'm doing, please share my work, my articles, the shows, the links, the pages. Hit the like and all that. It's very much appreciated. I'll be back for sure next Wednesday at 6 p.m. I might sneak another show in between now and then. I'm not sure. Don't forget I did do a show a couple days ago on Monday. It's very worthy of your time. Probably one of the best challenging the rhetoric shows. Until then, be kind to one another. Be open to people including me. Be open to ideas including mine as I am to yours and uh, ideas that particularly challenge your own rhetoric step away from those edges of extreme, I did, I did it, I did it, and I am a much better person for it, including a happier person for it, and a healthier person for it, that's it for me tonight, thanks so much for listening, I love you guys.